Well, what if I told you that I'd seen the future and I knew who was going to win the Melbourne Cup this year? Now, a caveat, the only thing that gambling is good for is sermon analogies. Every other thing you think of when it comes to gambling, uh, not a good idea. But as far as it goes with sermon analogies, fantastic. What would you do if I told you I knew who won the Melbourne Cup? I think you've basically got three choices. The first is you could think, well, you, you couldn't possibly know, you can't travel into the future, You're, you've gone mad, and so you would do nothing with that information that I gave you. You would ignore me. The second thing you could do is kind of hedge your bets. You could say, well, I'm not sure, or I kind of believe him, but, you know, I'm not 100% sure, like he is a trustworthy guy, but I don't know if uh, what he's saying is right. And so you would hedge your bets. You might put $50 or $100 or, you know, whatever a, a, a small to medium-sized bet is for you on the horse. And if, if, I, if I was right, uh, it, when the Melbourne Cup comes, great. If I was wrong, then, you know, you haven't really lost anything. No harm, no foul. Well, the third thing you could do is completely believe me. You could think, well, Chris is the minister of my church, he's a trustworthy guy. If he's told me he's been to the future and seen who wins the Melbourne Cup, uh, then, of course, uh, I should do everything that he says. And so you would refinance your house, sell all your possessions, take out uh, high-interest personal loans from Wallet Wizard, borrow money from all your friends, literally do whatever you could to get your hands on every single dollar that you could possibly lay your hands on and place the biggest bet allowable with every single bookmaker on the information I told you. You see, how you respond to my claim that I know who's going to win the Melbourne Cup this year tells me what you actually believe, doesn't it? When you believe something, you put it into practice. And this is how it is when, we, when it comes to Jesus too. And we see in our reading today three different ways that people respond to Jesus, which is an indication of how much they believe him or not. And the first thing we see in our reading, in verses 37 to 41, is unbelief. This is something that we've seen again and again in the Gospel of John. Let me read you from verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. No matter what Jesus says, no matter the miracles he performs, no matter the wisdom that he speaks, the people continue in their unbelief. They choose not to believe him. And there's all sorts of reasons why that is. But one of those reasons that John gives us here in this reading has to do with the sovereignty of God. Take a look at verses 38 and 40. This was to fulfil the word of the prophet Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Why is it that people are not believing in Jesus? Because it's part of God's sovereign plan. Now, that can be a bitter pill to swallow, can't it? That God 
is in control of this situation. What are we to do with what John is telling us here in these verses? Well, Bruce Milne, who's a scholar uh, who writes on the Gospel of John, says this as he reflects on these verses. Human unbelief cannot escape from the all-embracing purposes of God. How this is so certainly escapes us. That it is so, John does not hesitate to affirm and neither ought we. As John is quoting from the prophet Isaiah in uh, chapter 53 verse 1 and chapter 6 verse 10, he's showing us that God is sovereign and at work in all things. We are not more powerful than God, even in our own wills and decisions. To quote from Milne again, God is not excluded from the response people make to his claims upon them. As he acts in grace to enable and support the faith of those who believe, so he acts to confirm judicially the rejection of those who choose the path of unbelief. This does not, for John, eliminate human responsibility, as his repeated references throughout the Gospel of the challenge of faith indicate, among which is Jesus' appeal for faith in the passage uh, today in verses 44 to 50. You see, for John, the sovereignty of God and his control over human response goes together with our responsibility as humans to make a choice. These two things are not in conflict, they are two realities at the same time. We are responsible for how it is that we respond to Jesus, but God is at work in us and through us, enabling us to make our decision to follow Him. Now, this can sit with us uncomfortably and we're not going to tease it out perfectly today. However, I want to say that there are some wonderful things that come about holding together this tension of the sovereignty of God, even over uh, uh, human will, and the fact that humans do have to make a choice and we are responsible for those choices. The good news about God being sovereign is that you can pray for your friends and family who don't know Jesus and you can trust that God has the power to intervene in their lives and to bring them to their knees and to cause them to confess that Jesus is Lord. You're not praying a pathetic prayer, you're praying a powerful prayer to the sovereign God. Now, your friends and family still need to make a choice and they're going to be responsible for the choice they make, but God can change any man. Just look at the Apostle Paul killing Christians when God knocks him off his horse on the road to Damascus, we read in the book of Acts. God is powerful to act and we can pray big prayers to our sovereign God. Also, this is why we can have confidence in our salvation as individual Christians because each of us can know that God has sovereignly worked powerfully in us and through us to cause us to know that the Lord Jesus has died for our sins and he's caused us to bow the knee in repentance and faith. We've made the choice, we're responsible for the choice but God through his spirit has enabled it. 
God is sovereign over you and me and everyone out there. And that's why we can pray for our city. We can pray for our community. We can pray for the people we're going to invite to Alpha, which starts tomorrow night. We can pray because we know God can change lives. And I want to say that if you're trying to think about this today, uh, particularly in relation to how this relates to yourself, let me say God in his sovereign power and, and infinite wisdom has brought you here, either online or in the building today, to hear this message, to hear the good news about Jesus dying for your sins. And you have a choice today, and you're going to be held responsible for the choice you make. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour? God's brought you here to expose you to that message and he wants you to choose to follow him. And you'll be held responsible for the choice that you make. God is working powerfully in and through us today and through his word, by his spirit. There are many people who don't believe Jesus. It was the case when Jesus walked the earth. It's the case today. There are also people who have half-hearted belief. And we see this next. It's, it's like a scared belief in verses 42 to 43, which really ultimately isn't any kind of belief at all. The second way people respond, if the first is unbelief, is this sort of half-hearted scared belief. This is like the guy who hears my Melbourne Cup prediction and puts a 50-50 bet on, you know. Uh, well, if, if Chris is right and he has seen the future, then I'll, I'll make a lot of money, but if he's wrong, I won't have lost too much. This is what's going on for these people in these verses. Let me read you them. Yet, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith, for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Here we have people who kind of think Jesus is the Messiah and they, they, they really do kind of believe it but they're afraid of being socially excluded and they love human praise more than praise from God. That is, they like being loved and liked by people. Now, these two forces are extremely powerful, aren't they? Being accepted by the group, like that, that, that's a nice feeling and being loved by the people whom you respect and care about. That, that's also a nice feeling. But being rejected by people, being excluded from the group, that, that doesn't feel so good. And Jesus uh, and John, by including this story of the people who kind of have this half-hearted belief, he, he, he's reminding us of the cost of following Jesus. That's been the theme of John chapter 12, right? When you follow Jesus, who is the light of the world, in a world that loves darkness, there's going to be a cost. People are going to reject you, and you're not going to be liked. Jesus has been ramming this point home again and again. And we remember that as we follow Jesus, we're called to, to die, and this is one of the ways we die, by being socially excluded, by by. by by being uh, thought of poorly because of our faith. But we mustn't let that reality stop us from taking a stand and standing up for the gospel and for Jesus. 
If we believe in him, then we must be willing to count the cost, just as Jesus was. Remember last week, as we looked at the uh, part of chapter 12 right before this one, Jesus is exasperated as he prays. It's not nice having to suffer for your faith and for God. And following Jesus might cost you a lot. It might cost you your homeland. It might cost you your family or your job. It might cost you your reputation or your friendships. It might cost you your sports club or your community organisation. I hope that's not what it comes to, but it is very possible. We've seen it uh, in recent times in Australia. The Andrew Thorburn case, an Anglican excluded from his job because he went to an Anglican church. Now, we mustn't be silly about this. Sometimes as Christians, we, we read passages like this which tell us that life might be difficult for us as Christians and so we go and try and make life difficult for us as Christians by being the kind of people that uh, every normal human being wants to exclude. We mustn't get excluded because we're bad people. We get excluded because we're standing up for the truth of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to lose everything for the sake of following Jesus? And are we ready here in this community to support our brothers and sisters seated to our left and our right who get excluded, who lose their jobs, who become destitute and whose only place of refuge and inclusion and support is the church. We must be the community that includes and loves those the world is excluding because of their choice to follow Jesus. I wonder if you think we're like that here and we're ready to do that here. Unbelief scared or half-hearted belief, the final response that Jesus calls for in the final verses of this chapter is true belief from verses 44 to 50. This final way people respond is like the guy who goes all in when I tell him that I know who won, who's won the Melbourne Cup. Believing in Jesus means we see reality as it truly is. It means we see God as he truly is. Verses 44 to 46, then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe only in me, but the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. But what does true belief look like? What does it look like to see Jesus and to, and to believe that he's the light? Well, we see in verses 47 to 50, and if you've got your Bibles open, you can kind of have a look there. We see in those verses, Jesus talk about how we must listen to him and do what he says, otherwise we will face condemnation and judgment from God on the last day. True belief looks like action. To go back to my Melbourne Cup analogy again, if you 
told me that you believed me, that I knew who was going to win the Melbourne Cup, but you did nothing about it, well, you wouldn't really believe me, would you? True belief leads to action. And so it is with Jesus. True belief that He is the one who has come to save the world, that He is the Son of God, that He is the Lord of Lords uh, and the King of Kings. True belief in Jesus leads to Spirit-empowered life change. When you believe in Jesus, you obey Jesus. You do what He says because He's the light of the world. He's the one who brings hope and you do what he says not because you're trying to earn his salvation but simply because it's just the logical flow on effect from the implications of what you believe just like if I believe that boysenberry ice cream is the greatest flavor of all time then when I go to the ice cream shop I choose boysenberry and not chocolate and you should all do that by the way If I believe that this chair over here is comfortable, then I will sit on it when I need uh, uh, to have a rest. If I believe that my friend loves and supports me, then when I have uh, hurts and hopes and dreams, I'll share them with my friend because that's what I believe about them, to be a supportive, loving, caring person. And if I believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that he has come so that I might have life to the full, then I will live how he tells me to live. Belief leads to action every single time. And so, I want to ask you, how are you acting in response to what you believe about Jesus? Perhaps there's an area of your life where there's a mismatch between what you say you believe and what you do. Maybe you're living like some of the leaders who were scared of the Pharisees and so even though they kind of believed in Jesus, they weren't ready to kind of live out the implications of their belief. I want to encourage you today, don't be like that. If you believe in the Lord Jesus... Put your belief into action today. Be ready to count the cost. Or maybe you don't believe. Maybe you're unsure. I want to say today you've heard Jesus' call to look at him and believe. And I want to encourage you to take a step today. And did you know that step can be as simple as deciding to come to Alpha tomorrow night, 6.30 in the hall free dinner and a chance for you to unpack what it is you believe and what your questions are and to have a non-threatening conversation about who Jesus is and and what it really means to believe in him. I'd say any of us who are at any stage in our belief uh, journey with Jesus, Alpha is a good thing for us to do because it encourages us to unpack our faith and our belief and apply it more fully to our lives. Which leads me to my last group, those who are sitting here today and thinking, well, yeah, you know what? I do believe in Jesus and I am trying to do what he says. I say to you, good job. Keep going. Keep putting your belief into practice. 
Keep repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus with all your heart and allow him by his spirit to continue to transform you to be more like him. As we wrap up, let me conclude with the words Jesus spoke in our reading today from John 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Whoever you are, wherever you're up to, may today be the day that you step further into the light with Jesus. Amen. Mm